it's great to be together. Um, thanks for coming out this morning, and um, hope you've had a good week. Um, and if you haven't, I hope it gets better today as we meet in God's presence and uh, listen to God's word. Um, we are heading into the second week of a new series that we started called um, Familiar to Fascinated, as Debbie said. And um, I'm uh, excited about this series, believe that God is in it and wants to speak to us through it. Um, we take a little bit of time, if you weren't here last week, just to basically set the scene, talk a little bit about resurrection, saying that's the season that we're in, just post-Easter. Um, and we said, I think it was Scott McKnight that I quoted that said that the biggest if in history, he reckons, is the resurrection. Because if the resurrection is true, then everything changes. Everything can change for you. Everything changes for the whole world. Um, because Jesus' death and resurrection, if he rose from the dead, it means that everything affected by the curse has been set free, that death is not the end, that love has proven itself stronger than death. Okay, so there's a force in the world that's stronger than even death, and that the blessing of new creation can break out in the world. Something can happen for all of creation. And the church is the place, or the people, who believe that that if is true. We are Easter people. We live the resurrection. And so, or we should. And so we want to uh, use this season now from Easter to Pentecost to once again be fascinated by the person of Jesus. What his life, his death, his resurrection, what it means for us. And we want the different accounts of Jesus' post-resurrection appearances, which are sporadic over the sort of 40-day period um, that he um, came almost incognito at times, but came in a very real human way um, to different ones of his followers. And we want to use these accounts as Jesus, of Jesus' appearances to them as inspiration for us uh, for this period that we're living in. They're, they're all quite unique stories. Um, and... We're using the, the, the title for this, the subtitle, as you see here, is Encounters with the Resurrected Lord. But we're using this phrase from familiar to fascinated because we, we want to be fascinated with Jesus again, but also to, to play into the reality that I think nearly all of the people that Jesus appeared to would have been reasonably familiar with him. Now, I'm sure he still um, startled them and amazed them in so many ways, but most of them probably had walked with him in some capacity for the three years that he did his ministry, and maybe some of them even before that, who knows. But <clears throat> what, we, what we do know is that they, they knew Jesus, but something happened to them, even though they knew Jesus. And they knew Jesus doing miracles, teaching incredible sermons, uh, you know, looking after and, and, and advocating for the poor. They saw him do some remarkable things. And yet, in these post-resurrection encounters, they were fascinated. They were left in awe of him all over again. And, and I guess we want you uh, and me, all of us, to open our hearts, no matter how familiar we feel with Jesus, no matter how many wonderful things we may have heard or seen him do before, even firsthand. There's something about when we meet the resurrected Jesus, when we look into his eyes, that changes everything for us. And we want to once again be fascinated by Jesus. We just don't want to become smart, religious people. We don't want to even just become good, moral, upstanding citizens. We want to become people that, as Keith Green said all those years ago, to define a Christian, 
are, who are bananas about Jesus, who are obsessed with the person of who Jesus is and fascinated with who he showed himself to be. And, and so we feel quite moved by this. And, uh, and I said last week that all of these encounters we're going to see are going to result in a mixture of reverence and intimacy, these two things mingling together. We have a sense of awe of who he is, um, the one who has triumphed over the grave, the one who holds the keys of death and hell, the one who went into the grave but came back out of it again, and yet the one who makes you feel like more known than you've ever know, been known in your life. And, um, and, and, and by way of introduction, final thing to say is that all of these experiences, every single one of them, I think there was what I would say is a, like a visceral reaction in each of these encounters. So we're going to look today at how they're, the two in the road to mess, their hearts burned. We're going to, we looked last week at Mary weeping, falling on her faces, hold, holding on to the feet of Jesus. We're going to see Thomas just completely in awe of God and the wounded healer that stood in front of him. There was a, there was a vis- visceral felt reaction. And, uh, and I just thought to emphasize that point. I'm going to ask Ryan to come forward for a little minute. Come on ahead, Ryan. Um, I just thought to, uh, to make that point a little bit better, just, uh, just ask Ryan a couple of questions. Because last week when we spoke about Mary, we have a first-hand, if you like, testimony of that. So, Ryan, would you... This is Ryan, by the way. Say hello, Ryan. Hello. I don't know Ryan. He was playing the box today very well. Um, Ryan, before you came to church last week, would you just mind... Just summarizing how you were feeling. Well, I um, <clears throat> I suffer from depression, and it seems to have got an awful lot worse, sort of recently as time's been going on. And I remember I was going to be on worship last Sunday, and Jude uh, covered me, and I wasn't actually going to go to church last Sunday. I said, "Damn, look, I don't want to go to church. I don't really want to see anybody's face. I don't really want to go there and put on a sense of happiness when I'm not happy." Um. I just want to be left alone, go you on ahead, leave me just on my own. And it was actually Emily then that sort of pushed for me to go. Um, yeah, so it was very, very unhappy, actually, last Sunday morning before I came to church. So well done for coming. Well done, Emily, for bringing them. Yeah. Um, so you obviously felt God speaking to you throughout the talk. You responded when we asked people to stand and stood up, and then you came up for prayer, didn't you? So... Just tell us what was going on and then what happened. So, um, even even before the church, before I'd come to church, and he goes, get yourself up for prayer. Get yourself up for prayer. And it's something that I never take a veil off, really. Um, so the whole way through it, I felt even my palms were sweaty. I was just, you know, a bit nervous about going up for prayer and um, still unsure whether or not it was. Originally, see, I've wrecked my hemiscus. So Emily goes, go for prayer for your knee. I'm going, I'm not going to get prayer for my knee whenever I'm, I'm feeling like this inside. Um, so I went on up for prayer. As soon as was, church was over, straight away, straight up the front to, was it Ian? Was it Ian? Ian? I can't remember the other ladies. Ian there. I can't remember the other, Sonia. Um, so the two of them prayed for me. And they, they said to me, do you want me to keep going? Yeah, they said to me, um, do you mind if we put our hands on you when we're praying for you? So I said, that was okay. So they put one arm there and one arm there. And they're like, what do you want prayer for? And I says, I'm very depressed. And is there any way I can get prayer for that? So that was okay. And as, as they were praying for me, I had my hands out. And the next minute I felt this. 
hand, hold my hand. And I was like, right, well, I knew they were going to put their hands on my shoulder. I wasn't expecting them to, to hold me by the hand. And uh, so I had a, had a sneaky wee look in my right eye to see who, who was holding my hand. And there was no one holding my hand. Well, God was holding my hand. And then I felt my, started getting real short for breath because I couldn't believe what had actually just happened. And then I was full of emotion and my heart's beating just thinking about it now that if I didn't come to that service or if I didn't come up for prayer or anything like that, then I wouldn't have felt a very, 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 very physical, physical touch from God. Oh, it just blew me away. Blew me away. Um, people kept asking me in church what had happened afterwards. I could barely get the words out to even say what it exactly had happened. And then it's only whenever I really got home and I thought about it, I was like, I just got a touch from God. And ever since then, I've been getting, I always find up getting up in the morning hard. But now I've been getting up, I've been setting my alarm clock for six in the morning to get a bit of quiet time with God before Bethany's awake, you know, so I start the day off right, and yeah, it's just amazing. Well done, Ryan. Let me pray for Ryan, and as a prayer for Ryan, I want to just pray for everybody else in the room. Is all right? God, just thank you for what you do. Thank you that, Lord, you reach out and hold us. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for um, the very felt, tangible reality of that that Ryan experienced last week. Thank you, Lord, for how it made him feel, how it touched his heart and his mind and changed something. And God, I want to pray right now that in this room, for those, particularly who those who might find themselves this morning in the category of feeling depressed or being depressed. I ask you right now in the name of Jesus that you would multiply that feeling around this room, God. Lord, that this would not just be a breakthrough for one, but Lord, this breakthrough would come right through this body. Um, if you don't mind being, um, if, if we just keep our eyes closed for a moment, if you don't mind me just um, being a bit bold here and asking you maybe to be a bit bold, if you, if you would find yourself just feeling like that at the moment, would you stand? Because I'd just love to pray for you too, that that same breakthrough would come. If you would say that you feel, maybe even what Debbie mentioned during worship, um, just in your mind, you just feel a level of depression or even in your body. Okay, just want if you're not if you're not if you're not standing, just with your eyes closed. I just want you to agree with me in these moments and just just say the name of Jesus. Just begin to pray in the spirit there. Just 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 say the name of Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you reach out and you touch us, oh Lord. And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters right now, God, in this place, Lord, that you would help them to know the, the Jesus of Nazareth that comes to walk amongst his children, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We pray that you would come and you would reach out and you would touch them today. And we break in the name of Jesus the hold of any depressing thought, of any 
Lord, demonic assault upon the mind. Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus that you would come right now, King of kings and Lord of lords, and establish your reign and rule in this place and in these hearts and in these minds. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Give Ryan a round of applause, will you? Thank you, Ryan. So I would encourage you, it's also a good um, little thing and reminder that, you know, prayer works. Um, prayer ministry is good. You don't have to be in the depths of despair necessarily to get it either. You know, you can go up, you know, thinking that you need prayer for your knee and get a touch from Jesus and maybe get your heel, your heel need. Your knee, your knee healed at the same time, all right? So um, let's, um, let's not be afraid to come for prayer and uh, to lean in a little bit more into that. This morning, we're going to take it a step further um, in this series, as I've said, and talk about two on the road to Emmaus. This is the next encounter. So let's just look at the screens, and we'll crack on here, and I'm going to read um, just this whole um, encounter. I think it's over the next three slides or so. You'll see the scriptures on the screen. It says this, now that same day, this is Luke 24, now that same day, which was resurrection day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened, and as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. Picture the scene. But they were kept from recognizing him. I have to keep that in mind as well. So basically, two pilgrims walking along on this road to a place called Emmaus, and uh, a stranger basically comes and walks alongside them, who is Jesus, but they don't know it. And so Jesus asked them, what are you discussing as you walk together? They stood still, their faces downcast, and one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? Remember, the crucifixion happened at Pentecost, or sorry, at Passover, so loads of pilgrims were in town, and so that's why they said, are you the only one in Jerusalem that doesn't know what's happened? What things, he asked, about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Isn't that little phrase, okay? We had hoped, right? That they had hoped for something, that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. Imagine that. The women amazing us, you know. They went to the tomb early in this morning, this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us what they had seen, a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. And so we said to them, how foolish are you and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Watch this phrase now. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village they were going to, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it's nearly evening. The day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when he was at the table, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. 
they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up, returned at once to Jerusalem, and there they found the eleven and those with them assembled together, saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I absolutely love this particular scripture, passage of scripture, brilliant story. The idea of hearts burning as they leave Jesus um, running again with resurrection in their feet and in their bones, it always, it always gets a hold of me. And I want us to think about what we can learn from this encounter this morning. What can these two travelers who were walking on this road to Emmaus teach us about how their encounter literally changed the course of their lives? And how did it move them from being familiar to being fascinated once again with Jesus? The text implies that they were familiar with Israel's story because they were discussing, it seems, that particular point. And it also seems that they were probably pretty familiar with Jesus. They weren't part of the original 12, but it does look that they were part of that wider band of Jesus's followers. And uh, and so they're, they're moved from familiar to fascinated. And in some ways, it's a great, um, this, this story of the two traveling forms a bit of a parable, I think, for our culture today. Two, um, we don't know, uh, we know one of them was a man, and we're not sure who the other one is, could have been his wife, could have been a friend, we're not quite sure, they're unnamed, but the two of them are walking, and as they walk, they are deconstructing the Bible, they're disappointed with the way things have gone, we had hoped, listen, listen to that, we had hoped. You know, many of us are here this morning and we're living in a moment of broken dreams and smashed ideals. And if you were to like summarize part of what our heart feels at the moment is we, we had hoped. We thought things were going to go this way and they haven't. We, we had hoped. And, um, and they're walking aimlessly towards a, a place um, and they're not quite sure how they've gotten themselves there. And it, it serves, as I'll refer to this as we go through, it serves, I think, as a parable to a generation today, deconstructing, disappointed, disenchanted with the world, trying to work it all out, curious. But let me try and summarize three things today I'm going to try and focus on, three things about this story that I think can be helpful for us today. The first one is this. As they walked along the road, the two pilgrims, they got to know the author and the main character of history, of their story, of, of the big story. Let me read the verse again, verse 25. I think it's on the screen. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? Beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them all what was said to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. All the scriptures, how they all came together concerning himself, Jesus. Now, remember, these two travelers, as I've already touched on, were familiar with the Bible, the Old Testament, as it would have been then. 
they were well aware about an idea of a Messiah because they had thought that this prophet from Nazareth could have been him. So we imagine they were good Jews, synagogue-going, church-going, Torah-keeping Jews. They probably listened to loads of interpretations from the Old Testament. They probably knew all the verses. But in this moment, in this moment, they were listening to the one who helped write them, who helped breathe them, who helped inspire them, and it felt different. They'd never heard the scriptures taught in this way before. And yet the fascinating element of this particular story is that as they're hearing them concerning Jesus, by Jesus, they don't know at this point it's Jesus who is speaking to them. Luke says they were restrained at this particular point from knowing that. And again, we're not exactly sure why. But they were coming to understand, despite the fact that they realized that this stranger who was walking with them wasn't Jesus, they were coming to realize through what he was telling them that the one that they had known in these previous three years, who just three days ago had hung on a cross, was actually the fulfillment of the whole story. And all of a sudden, the big story, all of the Old Testament, all of the first two-thirds, really, of this book, all of it, from Moses and the prophets, all of it made sense now concerning Jesus. And uh, in the words of the Bible Project, which is a fantastic resource, which I'd encourage you to get on if you want to know anything about the Bible, they say in their little strap line that the Bible is one unified story leading to Jesus. And that's what they're starting to realize. And it wasn't just the fact, though, that this stranger was helping the story make sense logically. It was that they were actually encountering the author and the main character of the story. Lots of people in this country, they know the story logically in their head. They've heard how it all kind of is supposed to fit around Jesus. But once you encounter the author, once you open your heart up to be learn, to learn and to be guided and be taught by the spirit of Jesus, then it feels different. Then the whole thing starts to make sense. It was doing something in their souls that they'd never felt before. And the beautiful thing about this story is that it reminds us that at the heart of the gospel, we are not, first and foremost, the seekers and the lovers, even though we find ourselves seeking and looking for love. But we find at the heart of the gospel, we're not, first and foremost, the seekers and the lovers. We are the sought and the beloved. Because in the midst of their seeking, Jesus comes along almost imperceptibly, almost when you don't really know it's him. But he's working in his kindness, not intimidatingly in front of you, not forcefully, but just um, orchestrating the circumstances in your life so that the light bulb moment will happen when you realize that he has been gunning for you. That's the right phrase. He has been, he has been pursuing you with his love all your life. And listening to the main author and the main character of the story, tell them how it all made sense in the one who had just a few days ago hung on a cross. It felt more personal. It felt more real. It, it didn't feel like just a religious exercise. They were hearing the greatest story ever told by the greatest person who ever lived. And it changed everything. Something of this mingling and Something of the mingling, sorry, of this intimacy and reverence was taking place and it caused their hearts to literally feel like they were on fire. 
And they were so in awe of what they were hearing that they were like, you can't go past. You, like, it's funny, isn't it? Jesus is going to walk on by as they come to their little home after walking for however amount of miles they walked. They said, no, no, come in. And, and they come in. And it's around the intimacy of a table as they share a meal that Jesus has revealed to them. And, and there they recognize him. Isn't it so beautiful that it's in this intimate the breaking of bread, this simple meal that reminds us of what Jesus would go through to have us as his own? That just as he breaks the bread, that somehow they see him and they recognize it's, it's Jesus. Isn't it beautiful that as he meets us in our most broken and intimate place at the table? Tables are levelers, you see, aren't they? When you sit around the table, there's no... There's no hierarchy. You know, you just you stir into one another's eyes. And as he breaks bread and gives it to them, their eyes are open. And they realize that this great storyteller is actually the lover of their souls. It's interesting here what Luke is doing as well. It's potentially also when he says that they recognize him, their eyes are open, then they recognize him. It's potentially also a tip of the hat back to Genesis chapter 3. Because don't we remember what happened in Genesis chapter 3 when Adam and Eve ate of the tree, right? So something else was eaten at that particular point in Genesis 3. And their eyes were opened, it says. And what happened? They realized they were naked. And so they felt, what did they feel? The two perennial kind of enemies of our soul. They felt fear and they felt shame. Their eyes were opened because they entered into the horrible consequences of life without God. And now in this moment, because of what Jesus has done, a great hinge of history is taking place. A great cosmic healing, as N.T. Wright will say, is beginning to happen as the bread is broken. They recognize that through this act, which will remind them of what Jesus has done, that their eyes are open to see that fear and shame are going to be defeated. And all of it is going to be swallowed up in love. And because their eyes are open, they not just they don't just realize that history has turned in and through the person of Jesus and what he has done for us, but something has actually turned for them in their lives as well. Which leads me on to the second point. They didn't just get to know the author of history and the main character who stepped into his own story but they got to understand their own story, their own personal story. So entwined with this experience of encountering the author of history, the two pilgrims were coming to know their own individual stories. And when I say their own story, I mean they'd never felt more alive. They knew their own purpose. Their life made more sense, had more meaning than what it ever had. There is an a academic called Alistair McIntyre. Don't switch off. And uh, he... Uh, wrote this book, which I haven't fully read because it's one of those big ones, and it's called After Virtue, and it was kind of a seminal piece of work in academic circles, and in the whole area of ethics and morality and stuff like that. And he, in, in that book, he, he, he said this quote that I always go back to because I think it's just so, so important. I can only answer the question, what am I to do, if I answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself part? I can only answer the question, what am I to do, 
if I first of all answer the question of what story am I a part? Let me try and explain what this is getting at. Because um, it helps us really think about our lives in light of the bigger kind of belief system that we have about the world, which some people call a worldview, which is a view for the world and of the world. That's basically what it is. You see, lots of people um, never think about how the decisions that we make about our life, where we spend our money, how they vote, what they fight for, what they value, what they give their time to, how all of those individual decisions are reflective of the worldview that you carry. And if you've never maybe really thought about that, then you often just go along with what everybody else thinks or with what the particular crowd that you might move in thinks. And so this becomes really important when it comes to issues of the big issues of the day, like sexuality and life in the womb and the environment and what we believe about war, all of those things. But it also gets exposed in just day-to-day decisions that we make and we think about the world. And the thing is, if, if you never really think about what you believe about the world and the story that you're part of, then you end up just kind of acquiescing with the other stories that are in the world. Because what I would like to say is there are competing worldviews. There are competing stories about how the world should be and where the world is going and how life should exist. And so what McIntyre is saying in this quote is, even when it comes to your own contribution in the world, your own purpose, you can only really understand that when you understand the bigger kind of belief system and value base that you have about the world. I can only answer the question, you know, what am I to do? If I first of all can answer that question of what story am I part? And of course what he's doing in this, he's implying that our life is like a story and the history of the world, his interesting story is part of the word history, yeah, that, it, that, that we're, it, we're best thinking about our worldviews in terms of a story. Because it seems that like the idea of story is like, it's almost like hardwired into us. Why is it every time we hear the phrase, once upon a time, that something inside us is kind of hooked, wondering what that pregnant phrase is going to unfold? Why is it after you watch a good movie that you kind of go, did you ever do that thing when you are young? Is that a true story, Dad? Is that a true story? Because you're kind of drawn into the story and you want to think it's, true. Why, why is it that um, we love to sit around the fire or make a cup of tea and sit around the table and tell stories? Do, do you remember when? Or do you remember when dad did that? Do you remember how mom used to say that? Or do you remember when, our, you know, do you remember that holiday we had? Why is it that when I, girls are too old now, they think it's a bit boring, but why is it when I, you know, crawl into bed beside Finn to put him to bed, he's like, daddy, you tell me one of those wee stories when you were a wee boy. Yeah? Because story, why, why is it that Instagram today wants you to make your own story? It's because they, they realize that the way we're wired is to think about ourselves as an unfolding drama, an unfolding story. It's fundamental to our existence. Something in us is exercised every time we hear the word story. And so what if we were to think that every single person in this room is life is a story, a splendid, never-to-be-repeated, unique story of grace? Each one in this room has a story, a story that's worthy to be told, 
listened to, valued, shared, and experienced by others. But what if what Alistair McIntyre is saying is right? What if it only actually makes sense in a larger plot, in a bigger story where there's other characters, there's another drama going on that you get to be a part of? Think about all the best movies. Like all the best movies are like people doing something together on a mission. Yeah. The roles of the individual characters, whether they're brilliant or broken, can only be understood within a bigger plot or a, or a storyboard that they might call it even in those circles. Has anybody ever seen this film here? I think it's on the screen. Um, have you seen this Castaway? By Tom Hanks, right? This is this is an oldie, right? You had to lose loads of weight, old Tom, for that one, right? And um, Tom Hanks in this movie is, um, I think he's like a coastal worker or something, pretty obsessed with his work. But his life's forever changed when the plane goes down and he ends up on a stranded, uncharted island. And uh, we're drawn into this journey, if you watch the movie, of him obviously beginning to look like that. <clears throat> and... Um, He's struggling to keep his sanity when he's all alone on a desert island uh, because he wants he, he wants to stay alive so that he can one day go back to the love of his life. But while he's on this desert island, his life doesn't really make any sense in his own, so it's quite funny. He, he, he finds it a volleyball that somehow has made its way to um, the island, and he, he, he makes a character out of the of the volleyball, and his, his name's Wilson, and um, him and Wilson have this kind of uh, relationship on the island until he is sort of miraculously rescued, and um, I always found that film kind of speaking to me just in loads of different ways about our need uh, as humanity for community and for other people, and how we're not supposed to live alone, and lots of other things, but in this particular uh, you, you know, area that I'm looking at this morning, I'm, I'm thinking about how our life doesn't really make sense outside something bigger than ourselves. Our real life stories only really find meaning when they're connected. What we believe as Christians is the very source of where our life comes from in the, at the start and the wider unfolding story of God that is happening. But the problem is, and I just think this is really important to say, the problem is, and I know this part of what I'm saying this morning is a little bit more cerebral and maybe for us to, to think about in our heads, but it does really translate to our hearts and to our lives. What you need to realize is the world is telling us different stories, lesser stories. The world every single day is telling your kids lesser stories. And if they don't know their own story, they will go along with the other stories, the other belief systems about the world. And we need to learn as the church, not in an intimidating, forceful way, but in a courageously confident way, to know the story of God, to know the sacred themes that go from beginning to end, so that we can deny the other stories. Because here's, here's why, they deserve to be denied, because they're destroying people's lives. So there is the story, let me give you some, there is the story of empirical science that as human beings, we can sort everything out. We, 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 we know how the world is going to work. We, 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 we know how to explain everything. And, and we don't. We're being surprised all the time. Then there's the story of sexual freedom. 
body's yours to do whatever you want, whenever you want, at whatever time you want. It's destroying people's lives. There's a story of expressive individualism. You live your life the way you want to. Express your lives. Live for the moment. Do, you know, that is a lesser story. There is a story of all sorts of political ideologies. Together we can do this without God. There's a story of materialism. Earn a little bit more. Buy a little bit more. Make yourself happy and, you know, by what you own and what you can acquire. There's a story of celebrity. Big one for our kids. Become famous. And if you can't, become obsessed with the famous ones. And each of these stories, I could go into that much more, but I won't this morning. Each of these stories offer a different way of understanding the world. And when we allow these scripts of these stories fed through the media, fed through our phones, fed through the relationships that we have, fed through the deceit of darkness in the world, that's not always coming to us like a little, you know, kind of uh, red demonic being with a pitchfork, but it's coming to us in forms of, of wrong thinking about how the world works. When we allow those things to be absorbed into our minds, we become characters in a counterfeit story, right? You become living your life in a story that's not the true story. And the point of what happened in this particular moment as Jesus, the author of the story, gently but beautifully walks alongside these two travelers that day. He's telling them the big story that they're part of, the story of God from the history of time, the story of Israel. And as they hear that story, their lives, their individual lives never made more sense. In that moment, they find more meaning and purpose than they ever did. As Jesus told the two travelers their story, the God story, he was giving them back their own story. In realizing the scriptures are one story leading to Jesus, somehow their lives had never felt more meaningful. That's what Mary experienced last week when she heard her name. This is what these guys are hearing as they walk along the road with Jesus. And we know this kind of personally, don't we? Have you ever met somebody who's got to know Jesus and they said, you know what, my life never really made any sense. And then I met Jesus. Because that's what happens. And then as good teaching backs that up, good community, good, good church backs that up, then the layers of meaning should only increase and develop more and more as they get to know the story. Their lives never make more sense. I love how Eugene Peterson says it in summary. He says, when we submit our lives to what we read in the scripture, we find that we are not being led to see God in our stories, but our stories in God's. God is a larger context and plot in which our stories find themselves. Final point, just really quickly want to say this, and then we're going to take communion. Ultimately, they get to know the author of history. They get to know their own story. And finally, they get to tell and embody the story. They get to participate in the story. They get to run with resurrection. They run. If you go back to the text, they ran to tell the other disciples. And all of a sudden, (laughs) all of a sudden, the we had hoped narrative, a past disappointment changed to your present joy. He has risen. He is risen. It is true. The Lord has risen. So if, if you came in here this morning with the feeling of we had hoped, I had hoped, 
It can change to, it is true. He is risen. Now, that might not feel like it's solving all your problems right now, but something decisive has entered into the world that is going to change everything. And long term, that healing will come. That restoration will come. That, you know, that breakthrough that you long for will come because Jesus is risen from the dead. This is the effect of every single one of these encounters. They go and tell others. They can't not because their hearts burn. Their souls are set on fire. And we have a chance as a church in Portadown and beyond. We have a church to tell this story. That's why we've got to love this story, read about this story, disciple one another in this story, because it's the greatest story ever told. There's just too many bad ways of telling it. But once we get like really into it and get, you know, submitted to the Spirit to listen to it, and we teach one another how to love it, and, and, and by the Spirit of God, I want to make it my life ambition to tell this story better every single week, every single Sunday, because there's not any better story. And our world has exhausted itself. Our culture has exhausted itself. We're morally bankrupt. And when you look at some of the decisions that are being made in our world today, I read, I read, on, I read on the internet recently, or uh, heard on the news recently, that the, the numbers of Down syndrome kids born in Iceland now is almost reduced. Because you have this choice about the kind of child. Like that leads to that that the story the world is telling you, you've got this freedom. That leads me, that is a I think that leads you to a horrible worldview, a horrible belief system about the world, horrible understanding of humanity. But God is giving us an opportunity to tell the world the best story that every single person. Every single person is an image bearer of God, has a story that deserves to be heard, told, loved, appreciated, and drawn into the family of God to make a contribution to the big story that's unfolding in the world. This is our chance to tell the story because we are realizing right in front of our eyes that the lesser stories are not delivering. All their promises for human flourishing are not delivering. They're doing the opposite. Leonard Sweet said this, the future belongs to the storytellers and the connectors. Who's going to tell the best story? Why would we not when we've got the best one? We just have to learn how to tell it and tell it really well and tell our own stories along the way. What if, like Jesus, we could create an environment? You invite people into your home and round the table you invite people in to connect cafe or you take somebody out for a coffee and round the table you buy them a coffee don't make them pay for it you buy them a coffee you buy them a meal you break bread in your home and in that moment they realize the intimacy of the spirit of God of a God who's pursuing them and loving them with the um, with the two on the road to MS they move from story listeners to storytellers. And so on a Sunday, we come here and we listen again to the story in order that we may go and tell it. Hearts are warmed 
So, so as we move into a new church and a new building and all of that, um, it's not going to get much more complicated, right, than unfolding the scriptures, telling the story of God. Because if you unfold them properly, under the Spirit of God, hearts will burn. And if you break bread, eyes will be opened. So, like, we hope to do lots of wonderful things in this building, but at the heart of it, unfold the story of God, and we'll break bread, and we'll pray, and hearts will burn, and eyes will be opened. And people will encounter the author, and their stories will never make more sense. And because of that, they'll not not be able to run and tell others the story of God. And so as we break bread, if you don't mind just taking five minutes and then we'll be finished. We're going to break bread. What I'd love you to think about as the guys get ready to pass this around, we're just going to play a song as, as communion is passed around. This is what I want you just to think about to make this really personal for you. At, at the end of that passage where it said that Jesus was going to go a little further, it says that they urged him strongly. They urged Jesus strongly, stay with us. Stay with us. The, the word is a really strong word in the Greek. We're like They contended with Jesus. Stay with us. And he came in. And when he came in, the familiarity moved to fascination. Because in the breaking of the bread and in the intimacy of that moment, their eyes were open and they saw Jesus. And so to make this really personal for you this morning, just on your own before the Lord as we put this song on, I just you can listen to the words of this song. It's a really beautiful song. But, but as you listen to the words of this, just why don't you just do a very personal urging with Jesus? Maybe for the first time, come in. But maybe for the 150th time, Jesus, come in again. Come in again. I, I want to listen to you. I want to meet you in this beautiful need.